0: Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. This teaching series. Is that okay? Everyone good, ready to go? Part three. Um, For me personally, I became a Christian at a very, very young age. I, I was a small child when I said to Jesus, kneeling by my bedside, that I wanted to be his friend. But more significantly for me was when I was 13. At the age of 13, I made a very clear decision that this was my faith, that I wanted to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It wasn't my parents' faith. I went to church because I wanted to, not because they took me. And something shifted at 13. At 13, I made very clear decisions about the people I hung out with at school, and I chose to get baptized. It was a very significant moment um, for those who've been baptized, that moment where you just know that you've just actually been saved. There's something you've been set aside. And I was baptized and I knew that I was a follower of Jesus Christ. I knew I was a Christian. But I also knew that there was something missing. There was something more. That yes, I'd said yes to following Jesus. Yes, I'd got baptized. But I wanted to be what this thing was called, filled with the Holy Spirit. I'd heard about it. I'd heard people talk about it. I had a bit of language to explain it. But I thought, I just want what those people have got and I heard people speaking in tongues, and I heard people talking about it. I thought, I want to be able to be that person. I want to be that more fulfilled Christian. How does that work? So my plan was simple. Every time there was an appeal, every time I went to a conference or a summer camp or an event, or every time a visiting speaker came to our church, because we all know visiting speakers are the best ones, don't we? I, think. I would go forward. I'd say, pray for me. I want to speak in tongues, be filled with the Holy Spirit, clamp your hands on. They all had a good old go, but nothing happened. Nothing. For two years, I started going bald early. People would start to lay hands on me left, right, and said, nothing was happening. And I remember a moment in Easter of 1989. I was 15 years old, and I was at an event called Spring Harvest, and I was helping on the children's team at Spring Harvest. There were a thousand eight to 11-year-olds run by a man called uh, Ishmael. Some of you have heard of him. He wrote loads of great children's songs. And I was working with them, and I was on the yellow team. You don't get better than the yellow team. It doesn't match anyone, does it? We were on the yellow team, and there we were. And we were leading these 1,000 young people at Spring Harvest. And it's fascinating that now I'm involved in the leadership of Spring Harvest. And 20-plus years ago, I was there as a 15-year-old serving on the team looking after the children. But in this, in this team, we had this moment before every morning and evening session. We'd all gather. We'd all pray in our teams. And, we, and I'd never been in prayer times like it. We would gather around this big circle, and everyone would just pitch in. It would be noisy and messy. And at one point, I was just sitting there trying to, or standing there praying, and I thought, "This is all." I feel like I'm being a bit pathetic and not really getting my words out. And the person leading our team was a man called Steve Lee. And Steve Lee, some of you will know, he's come and spoke at this church since then. He's a well-known evangelist. And he said, there's someone here that doesn't speak in tongues. And I thought it was probably very obvious because I'm the one going, I don't know what to say. I feel awkward. and Everyone's just kind of piling in. So I went, yeah, that's me. He goes, right, stand in the middle. I'm going to pray for you. I went, I'll take whatever I can get. So I jumped in. They prayed. They said, right, you're going to have to open your mouth at some point. No one had ever told me that before. Two years of prayer, two years of effort, and no one said opening your mouth and speaking in tongues are kind of part of the same deal blew my mind. So I opened my mouth and silly little words came out and slowly something formed. Something happened. And I started speaking very baby tongue language. And then God intervened. And I remember the moment significantly where I just walked around beautiful minehead at the butlin site, just speaking out tongues, praising God, celebrating him and just feeling like God had taken me to another place. That was the Easter. In the summer... I was involved in an early version of Soul Survivor. We had a few hundred young people, 11 to 14s, um, off at Plumpton Racecourse near Brighton. And I'd been invited to be in the worship band. I wasn't as good as Jim, but I thought I was. And um, I was 15 years old, and I was in the worship band. I thought I'd made it, to be honest with you. And I was at this summer event in the middle of this huge racecourse at Marquee. And I was with a bunch of my friends, and we were playing worship songs and leading these young people. It was a great time. Then there came this evening where... One evening where the worship team, we got together as we always did. We got together and we started to pray for each other and pray for the night ahead. You might have seen our worship team do that. If you get here at 9.45, we all pray together. And I got the team together. We all got the team together. And I was on the team. We started just praying. And as we started praying, people started falling over and speaking in tongues and laughing until eventually it was just me, Miles the keyboard player, and my friend Chris that was standing. That was it. And we're looking around, and I am properly, I've never seen this before in my life. I am perplexed, I am confused, I don't know, I'm like, what are we going to do now then? And the children were gathering, and they were turning up and the marquee was filling, and we've got no musicians, our worship leaders lying flat out, how is this going to work? And my friend Chris said, well, I'll just pray and we'll see what happens, which is a really good idea. So we got on the stage, me and my guitar, feeling very inadequate, miles on the keyboard, and Chris started praying. And he just prayed a simple prayer in this room full of hundreds of young people. And a move of God's spirit happened like I've never seen before or since. And people just fell over like in a wave. There was no build up. There was no set up. There was no kind of getting kids excited. Someone just prayed a simple prayer and God moved by his power. I'd never seen anything like it. At 15, I was so young and naive. I thought, this is great. I wasn't afraid. I thought, it's brilliant. I just dived in. Everyone I prayed for fell over, and it was just like incredible. We had to carry children back to their tents because they were just out in the Spirit prophesying for hours. It was amazing. And over the years, I've seen those things time and time and time again. But I always sort of wonder, why do they happen at certain events at certain times? Why is it not an everyday, normal occurrence? Why don't we see God move in the normal, the mundane, in the hallway in your home, not just at the big charismatic conferences with well-known speakers. What's that about? I want us to be a church that is naturally supernatural, that sees God at work all the time through everyday activities. Thank you for that one amen. Thank you. I'm going to preach to you, Adrian. Fantastic. So here we go. Let's get some Bible into this. 1 Corinthians 2. This is Paul. He wrote pretty much half the, the Bible at the back end of the Bible there in 1 Corinthians. He's writing to a new church, like a church plant in the town of Corinth. And he writes these words to them. I'm going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to do it quick so we can just save a bit of time. Here we go. It was on the screen behind me. When I first came to you, Paul says, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything. "'Except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. "'I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, "'and my message and my preaching were very plain. "'Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, "'I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. "'I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, "'but in the power of God.'" Yet when I'm among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would not have crucified our glorious Lord. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us that God revealed these things by his Spirit. For his Spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. No one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit. And no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. And we have received God's spirit, not the world's spirit. So we can know the wonderful things God has freely given us. When we tell you these things, we do not use words that come from human wisdom. Instead, we speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. For the people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Those who are spiritual can evaluate all things, but they themselves cannot be evaluated by others. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach Him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. There's a load of stuff there. A load of stuff there. Let's see if we can tap into some of it. Lord, I pray that as we preach your words, we bring this idea that we can be naturally supernatural followers of you. I want to pray that you would take all the strange, weird words out. You would take away all the Christian jargon. You just make us understand your spirit, who you are, and how we connect with you. Amen. I don't know if you've ever had an experience of being filled with the Spirit. Some of the stories I told earlier, whether that's something you've ever seen or experienced before for yourself. I don't know whether you've ever had God nudging you or giving you that sort of gut feeling of you've got to do something you've never done before. The kind of prodding that sometimes happens by the Spirit. Have you ever prayed for anyone to be healed or received prayer for healing yourself before? Whether you've spoken in tongues or prophesied. Because the question I want to ask some of you today, those of you who would call yourselves followers of Jesus Christ, is that experience something you used to do? but haven't seen happen more recently? Is that part of your history, not part of your present everyday life? I've got a question. If God can do one miracle in your life today, what would it be? Tell your neighbor, now, 30 seconds. What would the miracle in your life today be? Come on. What's the one miracle you want? It's a bit like three wishes. What's the miracle you want God to do in your life. Tell the person next to you. The miracle of Sim finishing quickly this morning. See, here's the thing. We often want the miracle, but we struggle to believe in a miracle-making God. We want what God offers, but we're not sure if it's real or true. You know, I've seen people in these meetings where people have done the most incredible things. I've watched people fall over, laugh, bark like a dog. Or have the anointing of Santa. You know the anointing of Santa? Ho! 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 You've been to those meetings. And they rock and they roll and they roll around the floor. And you think, that's great. But if you do that on Monday morning in the workplace, you'll get fired. But amazingly... Those same people leave the meeting on a Sunday, they go to their workplace and you would never know. You would never know. It's like a brilliant secret. I've got a little little pot of goodness on a weekend and nobody knows. If this is meant to be God in our lives, it needs to affect all of our lives, not just our Sunday lives or our conference lives. Can I say something that could get some of us into trouble here, especially if you work for the church? Church meetings can often become weirdly supernatural. The church building, community, service is not meant to be supernatural. You are. Think about that. It's not about a building or a meeting or a conference. It's about you and me. Not an event we whip it up and we... We get the guitars loud and the drums beating. Yeah, now I feel more spiritual. You are the home of the Spirit of God. Thank you for those people who agree with me, because it's true. It's even in the Bible. It is the most natural way to live a supernatural life. It is meant to be normal. The church of which I'm responsible for some of it, not all of it complicates things, makes things weird, does strange things, writes odd books. I want to have a burning session of some weird books. Really? It should be everyday normal activity of what we should be. 2 Corinthians 4 says this, We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God not from ourselves. We're like these clay broken jars, this messed up person that the awesome power of God lives within. But here's the weird thing. People get carried away by the outer appearance. 1 Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord looks at the, out, at the heart, but the man looks at the outward appearance. What's all that about? You know, if you ever saw a briefcase stuffed full of millions of pounds, how many go, oh, nice briefcase? Like that. I wish I had that briefcase. We get carried away the outer appearance. What's all that about? You see the 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 verse here Paul was writing was because in those days people used to hide their money in jars. They used to hide them in expensive jars, but then burglars would work out the expensive jars carried the money. So they then put them in old jars. You know you just get those pretend baked bean tins, you can put them in your fridge, but inside there's money. And if you ever bought one, they're really quite obvious and plastic. But, you know, sorry, you spent your money. This idea is hiding your wealth in something that looks like it's not worth anything. And people do that. Yet in the church, sometimes we see people who preach really well and they're anointed and moving in the power of the Spirit. Oh, they're so special. I wish I could be like them. I wish I could buy a white suit and do what they do. I wish I could have that anointing. You do. You do. The same power that lived in Jesus Christ lives in you and me. And we get all caught up with the outward appearance, but it's nothing to do with that. You can be an absolute mess. You can carry the full anointed power of God within you. It doesn't stop you from joining in. So often we get confused by the person rather than the power of God that lives within us. You know, throughout history, right from Acts chapter 2 where Jesus in Acts chapter 1 gives his last message to his followers the disciples. He goes off to heaven, the ascension. They're all a bit lost, go stand in the upper room. Acts chapter 2, boom, there comes the Holy Spirit. Amazing moment of Pentecost. And many of you will know that story. And the disciples are blown away. They start speaking in different languages. People are on the streets, hear them talking, and thousands of people get saved. But you get as far as Acts chapter 6, 5 and 6, And already things are starting to break down a little bit. There's been a bit of disagreement about how we do things and how we operate. Who's going to feed the the widows and the orphans? Because we can't do that. We're studying the Word of God. We're too important. How can that be? And there's already a disagreement from Acts chapter 2, Spirit of God falling. Acts chapter 6, let's not fall out about these things. And throughout church history, there have been these extreme movements towards some things of the Spirit. And then almost a kind of regression into moving away from what God would be doing through His Spirit you know, think about John Wesley who bumped into the Moravians who were on their way to America for their 100-year prayer movement. It was incredible. And he meets these people who, who knew God in a different way to John Wesley, the parish priest. He'd never heard or met anyone who talked about God the way they did. And he said, give me something of what you've got. They prayed for him. And his heart was strangely warmed. And he starts this movement called the Methodist Church. The Methodist, which was never meant to be a church, was a movement of people in the power of the Spirit. John Wesley introduced his friend, George Whitfield. you got to See what's going on, what God is up to, and he starts the power of George Whitfield's preaching changed and transformed lives. The Jeffrey brothers, who came to Central Hall here in Southampton in 1927, preached at healing meetings, and people were healed of most. Inc- Actually, they weren't called healing meetings; they were called curing meetings, curing meetings. And they were talking, and the Jeffrey brothers would preach down there. In 1927, there was the Pentecostal movement, people moving the power of the Spirit over 100 years ago. The house church movement, in the 70s. There's always dramatic moves of Spirit. And I myself and, and my wife Lottie often talk about the time in the mid-90s, a Toronto blessing. Some of you look a little bit older than others in the room. You remember the Toronto blessing, some fondly, some not so. Where people would go across to Airport Vineyard Church in, in Toronto near the airport, and they would go there, and they would go to these meetings, and everyone would fall over, and they'd grab a bit, and they'd come back to their church. you never guess what happened. I saw God move, and we had these meetings in the 90s, and they were crazy, and they were chaotic, and they were mental, and they were fun, and it was just messy, and it was horrible, and it was brilliant all at the same time. But that was 20 years ago. That same spirit exists. But why do we keep on going down these extreme routes and then almost readjusting to the point you'd never know there was a spirit of God alive and well in this place? How do we get the balance right of being supernatural, but natural? How do we tie those in together? We keep on looking for these big moments of revival, but actually God has put everything within our hands. Who knows if you hold an apple in your hand, you have the power to grow an orchard. I think it is true. I think it's true. I'm not making it up. You don't need special apples. If you have an apple in your hand, the seed of the apple is inside it. You have the power to build a whole orchard. It'd be a bit annoying for your neighbor. You have the power in your hand. And so often we get cynical about what isn't there rather than actually get excited about what is there. The Pharisees, in the the Bible, there was this great group of people, the Pharisees. Modern day terms, they'd be called church leaders. They were the Pharisees. They led the temple, they they led the different groups of people, and there were different models of them. But the Pharisees, the main ones, Jesus had a bit of a problem with. And whenever Jesus did something, they were criticized, they were cynical. And if you look in your Bible, you'll see on time and time again, Jesus did amazing things, and they were criticized. Matthew 12, there's a man with a deformed hand. Jesus prays for this man's hand. He stretches it out, and he's healed. In um, John 9, a guy's blind from birth, and Jesus spits on the ground, makes a mud, puts in his eyes. The guy can see. Wow. Come on, people. This is pretty good, isn't it? If this happened at church this morning, if I'm spitting in mud and putting people's eyes, eh? you'd be pretty shocked. But secondly, if they could see and they were blind before, you'd be like telling all your mates on Twitter or whatever, wouldn't you? This is amazing. What do the Pharisees say? It's a Sabbath. I don't think that's really appropriate, Jesus. Could you have just waited 24 hours to perform the miraculous signs? What? How crazy is that when someone's deformed hand has been healed and we're worrying about what day of the week it is? What is that? Is that really the issue? Is that really the... Really? And we get sidetracked by the stuff that doesn't happen rather than get excited about the stuff that does happen. Cynical people always look for the problems, for the stuff that's missing, rather than the potential. That's what the Pharisees were, these cynical people. They cut possibility off. Cynical people say that's not possible. It can't be done. And you tell them when you're realists, it's not true. You're not realists. You're hurt by past experiences. I've been there. You're disappointed by something that didn't happen in the past. You think, I'll protect myself and I'll protect my family. And I will say, no, I'm not going to go there again. That's what cynics are. Cynics are people who've been disappointed before. And we all have that potential within each one of us to complain and moan and say, well, you know, there's always a problem. There always will be. But there's also always something to celebrate. There's always good in every person I've ever met. If you're willing to dig, you will find gold in everybody. But often we dismiss people and go, that person's just like this. Really? Disappointed people become cynical very quickly. You have to get hold of the thoughts, hold them captive, the Bible says. Before we get caught up in all of that, you know, for Lottie and I, um, um, and Lottie's mum Anne here, we went through a a traumatic process six years ago when we lost Lottie's brother to cancer. And those who've been through those kind of experiences know what it's like. Rich was well known. He was a church leader. He was a well-known preacher. He'd written books. He travelled the world. Did some great things. And the year before he died, we did everything we could. We prayed for him. I remember almost every night with our children, we'd pray for Uncle Rich. We took him to every healing meeting we could find. We had hankies sent through the post from international ministries. We had people come to his house and dance and sing and we would have done anything. And Rich himself preached right to the very end, I believe God's going to heal me. Two months before he died, he came to Central Hall. We were leading the church there. He came and He preached a message of I believe I'm going to be healed. And he wasn't. That's our reality. And and we had a choice to make at that point. Do we allow our disappointment to make us cynical, to refuse to ever believe in anything of God again? To ever pray for healing in anyone ever again? That was our choice. I'd like to tell you we bounced out of bed the next morning and say everything's great. But it's not true. We had some times where we felt strong and other times we felt not so. There were times I doubted. There were times I was really confident. But that was our reality. And our disappointment allows us, if we're not careful, to become cynical and miss what God is doing. Because we complain about the things that didn't happen. Didn't happen. Your one-off experience can block you from God's plans for your life. And your one-off experience can also be a gateway to God's abundance. It's the apple. What are you going to choose? But so often churches become cynical and they dismiss people from afar. We're not going to become like that. Rather than understand what's in people's hearts. I know it sounds quite hard. and You think, oh, really? Sim? Yeah, but this is true. I can say this because I've been there. I've been that cynical person who's upset, and disappointed, annoyed with others, who behave a certain way. And I think, well, no, that's not. I'm not going to do that. And I realize there's something within me. That's holding things back. We need to be less like the Pharisees and more like Jesus. Alan Scott, who leads um, Causeway Coast Vineyard Church in Coleraine in Ireland. Um, amazing church. Sixteen years ago, there were six people in that church. There are thousands now because of what God is doing in that church. Incredible communicator um, and writer about things of the supernatural. He said this. His definition of being naturally supernatural, you ready young people with your bits of paper, is becoming The type of person that routinely does, routinely does what Jesus did. Who feels up for that one? It's hard though, isn't it? I want to be the person that typically routinely becomes and does what Jesus did on an everyday basis. You see, here's the thing. The Spirit of God has not been hidden from us. It's been hidden for us. You know, I remember when my children were small, they would say to me, Dad, can we play hide and seek? I'd be like, right in the middle of something really important. Oh, okay. Dad, we are gonna play hide and seek. Dad, I'm going to go hide under the bed, and you're going to count to 10 and find me. How does that work? And then those of you who understand how this works, you count to 10. And in loud voice, you go, I'm coming up the stairs. I can't find you. And they're giggling, and they are moving. The whole bed is wobbling around. Yes, you've been there. And you go, oh, I wonder if they might be in the bedroom. And there's more giggling and there's laughing. And the other thing. Oh, I wonder if they're in the bed. Oh, they're not in the bed. You do, this massive kind of charade you play, don't you? And then eventually you find, oh, I found you. And then, Oh, Dad, is so great. This time if we play again, I'll go behind the curtains, Dad. <laughs> what? The Spirit of the God is not hidden from us. He's hidden for us. He wants to be found. It's a gift. God's spirit has been given to you and I as a gift. It's not something we earn. Here's the thing. If, I, if someone said to me, Sim, and I'm sure it would probably happen. Sim, I'm a bit concerned about your fashion sense. I'd like to take you shopping and buy some new shirts. Stop nodding. I can see all the nodding around here. Stop it. It's a bad example to use. But you took me shopping. You said, oh, Sim, I want to buy you a couple of great shirts. Thank you very much. You get to the till. You pay for the shirts. I pick up the bag. I go home with the shirts in my hand. I'm really pleased. Nice shirts. And I open up the bag, and there's only one shirt inside the bag. I think, oh, I've left the bag at the till. Do I go back? I do, oh, well. No, it was a gift. I want to be able to wear it and say to the person, thank you. So I go back to the shop, and I say to the person behind the till, there was a shirt that was bought by my friend. Could I? Yeah, of course, no problem. Here it is. That's what happens when we get saved. And we say, can I have the bag with Jesus died and resurrected? I'll have that one. The Spirit of God peace you can leave that behind the till. We don't get that option. The two gifts come as one. You don't get to choose which part of the package you get. The gift of Jesus Christ comes with the Spirit included. It's part of the deal. How dare we, how arrogant of us, to ever suggest we can lead a Christian life without the Spirit of God included? How dare we even consider that? It's a gift. See, here's the thing. When Jesus died... All right, this is a bit as for all the theologians in the house. All right, when Jesus died in John 19, um, different verses of the Bible express it differently. But it says he gave up or handed over his spirit. Or in some, it says the ghost. In King James Version, the ghost. There's this transaction that takes place when Jesus dies on the cross. And he says it's finished. And then he gives up the spirit. And there is a connection of, of Jesus kind of almost going, the spirit has gone from me and there is a moment on the cross where the spirit leaves jesus and there's this change that happens there's you know you cannot have pentecost in acts chapter 2 without jesus dying in john 19 the cross and the Pentecost are connected by the death of Jesus Christ. They cannot be separated. And even that moment, when uh, Jesus' side is stabbed by a spear. And the Bible tells that water and blood pour out. Those of you medical know that's a sign of death, a separation of the blood. But also it's a symbolic image of the water of the Spirit and the death being side by side, that something is going on of God at that moment in time. A change has taken place. Living water, the Holy Spirit. Jesus himself, John 7, said um, during his lifetime, he said, Anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the Scripture declares rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit. The water is a kind of analogy for the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a gift that flows from the cross. It's a gift from the Father God himself. And you and I, if you choose we are a of Jesus Christ, we get that same gift. So here's the fun bit. Some of you may have noticed on the stage here, I have a hose and a bucket. For those who don't know, this is a fireman's hose. All right, 70 mil hose there and an old bucket you might think well what's that got to do with anything well I was trying to think of an analogy that help us understand this concept of being filled with the spirit and I had an idea so I went to visit our local fire station Romsey fire station and we have amongst us I don't know if Frank's here today he's probably too embarrassed okay oh there he is over there thank you Frank Frank our local uh, crew manager hold on a minute rewind the video rewind the video there you go. Right. So I went down to uh, Romsey Fires. I said, said, Frank, would you do a demonstration for the church? We'll video it. So apologies for the quality video uh, camera work here. But yes, rather video here. So I'll just talk to the video we run the video, Billy? Is that right? Great. Here we go. Here's Frank Long, a local firefighter who loves being on camera, as you can tell. So this is a hand-controlled branch. They call it a branch. For some reads like a jet. And it connects to this flat hose you see on the stage in front of you. All right, you take the end of the flat hose, all right, and you plug it into the hydrant. The hydrant is connected to the source. Everywhere around the country, you'll see those yellow H signs. That stands for hydrant. You turn the water on at the standpipe key, and then there we go, all the way through the flat hose until the branch is filled and what they call charged. The hose is fully charged. You are connected to the source through the hydrant. And then, simply as demonstrated by Firefighter Frank, here we go. And you can see, look, he had to take a step back. The power running through the hose is quite impressive. And it's very simple to use. If you look, there's like a lever on the top. If you push the lever forward, go on, Frank, push the, you know you want to. Yeah, now, that would be good. You push the lever, there we go, thank you. Pushing it forward, it turns the water off, you pull it back, Boom, water on, easy. Anyone could be a firefighter, couldn't they? Look at this. And I said, so there you go, Frank, great. But imagine if Frank went to a fire and there was a huge fire in front of him. And he thought, you know what? I don't need the hose. I'll put the hose down. What I need is a bucket. I reckon I could take this house fire with a bucket. There we go. Easy. The problem is with a bucket, it's a limited amount of resource and eventually you run out of it and you have nothing left. My question today, ably presented by Frank. I like that picture. Thank you, Frank. Is <laughs> Do you want to be a bucket Christian? Or do you want me to connect to the source? What do you want? See, when I was in the fire service, we were taught you don't start fighting the fire until you've got enough resource to do something with it. If you turn up to a fire and you've got a bucket, don't even bother. There is no point. You might think like I'm making an effort, people might be more impressed. Not really. You wait until you get your water supply connected to the source before you start doing anything. See, God is our Father. He loves us and gives us his gift of the Spirit. And we are connected to him. He is our source. And yet sometimes we go for the bucket. And we say, God, I'm okay. I've got my bucket of water and I will manage. I will cope. And we turn off the source, we turn off the lever and we say, forget the source, forget the hose. I've got my bucket. I went to church last week. It's quite full. And we go around and we spill a bit of water and we spill a bit of the spirit, and eventually we run out. Some of you are really good at this. You can manage three or four weeks without going back to church for a refill. Whether you've got an extra big bucket, or I don't know, or you don't spill very much spirit, I'm not sure what, but you prefer your bucket. But God offers us the source, a permanent supply of His Spirit into our lives. How we choose a limited source in a bucket. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? We have this connection to God. We're his children. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, you can't help but be connected to his spirit. It's part of who you are. The question whether you choose to actually turn that spirit on and use it or whether you're going to push it away. Listen, at one level, this sounds really harsh, but bear with me because I think it's a really important thing to hear this. When we choose to turn off the spirit, Or we choose to carry a bucket. What we're actually saying is, I want to be independent. It's it's an orphan mentality. I don't need my father. I'm okay, thanks. And I know there have been many times where I've managed on a bucket of the Spirit of God. And I'm sorry for the times I've led this church going, I'm okay, God. I've got it. I've done church for many years. I really know how to work this thing. You leave me to it. Please stop interfering. I've got a really good bucket. But however big your bucket is, it's limited source. The hose is a permanent source to God himself. We're his children. We can be self-reliant. We can block the flow. Sometimes deliberately. Sometimes we go, I don't want or don't need that. Our disappointments I mentioned earlier or things that have gone wrong in the past become things that block the flow of the spirit of God and we can rely upon ourselves rather than the God himself that we trust and put our lives into his hands and the way to break this the way to change this is Acts chapter 2:38 says this you ready young people because they've all got questions they've got to answer today Peter said this in Acts 2.38, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's as we repent, repentance is turning around. And if you today are going, "I, I am somebody who carries a bucket and I have a limited supply and I'm independent and I have sometimes said to God, I'm okay, thanks. Then I want to encourage you this morning to turn and say, God, I'm sorry for being Independent. I'm sorry for managing on my own resources. I'm choosing to connect to the source. I'm choosing to recognize you as my father. You know, the truth is listen to this phrase here the level of spiritual power you can handle, I believe, is in direct proportion to our repentance of independence. When we say, God, you're in charge. I believe God can do anything. When we say, God, is okay, I've got this, I'm in charge, suddenly we've got a limited potential. The apple in our hand only multiplies into an orchard when it gets taken from your hand and is sown into the ground. All the time you parade around with your apple, nothing's going to happen. It might be a really nice apple. Pink ladies, they're nice, aren't they? A bit expensive, I find. But good apples, I often go for Braeburn, a bit cheaper. But it doesn't do anything to you, get it in the ground and sow it and get it out of your hand and into God's. That's when it multiplies. We die to ourselves and we put our trust and our hope in God. Band, come and join me, is that all right? We want to respond to this. In a moment we're going to respond, I want to encourage you, we're going to have a time to respond and to to ask God to fill us anew to reconnect us to his spirit to find a connection with his source his purpose and I know some of the things I've said today might be a little bit hard I mean to be honest with you I've got limited time to be polite and cuddly and all the rest of it I'm sorry email me nicola at Um, (laughs) freedomchurch.uk you know I don't want to create a church where we have systems of moving in the spirit of rules and regulations of when we do when we don't of when we go to certain events and activities, that's when God's at work and other times we don't. I want to say, I want to be a church where our everyday natural is where we allow God to move amongst us. Where we're always going, God, what are you doing today? When I walk my kids to school or my youngest child now to school, am I praying, God, give me interactions with people that I'd never expected? Is that my prayer? Or is my head down going, Lord, may no one speak to me today because I'm in a foul mood. Am I ready to be always prepared for what God might do if I'm willing to be connected to his source? I want to say to you today, God loves you. God loves you. God loves me. God cares about every aspect of your being. He cares about every detail of your day. I don't want to create any sort of pressure day to become something you're not because the truth is you can't become more of who you are than just by connecting to your Father God. You know, my my natural father, I cannot become more of a son by any energy on my part than I am already. I can't somehow kind of, you know, strain myself into being a better son. And if you're a Christian this morning, you can't strain yourself into being a better child of God. You go, I'm going to be really good this time yet we somehow we seem to think we have to whip up the spirit we have to kind of make it happen we have to kind of force it through we just are carriers of the spirit of god we are those cracked vessels we are if you are a follower of jesus christ today you are a son and a daughter of god and all you have to do is do is just be just by being take all the pressure off yourself and go i wish i could be like that person forget that person you are filled with the spirit of god you carry the same power that conquered the grave, that lives in each one of you. You cannot become more your father's child through any extra effort that you might have. The supernatural is the most natural way to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's all stand, shall we? Just ask Hannah to lead us in a a song and then we're going to respond to what I believe God's saying to us this morning. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.fema.org freedomchurch.uk Thank you for listening.